This is The Playbook. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm David Meltzer, and we're going to start off with a legend. You can't get any bigger than Tony Hawk, and I'm blessed to be from San Diego, the founder of the Skate Park Project. He needs no other introduction. Welcome to Office Hours, Tony Hawk. Thank you. Thanks for having me. One of the best things about knowing Tony Hawk and is that we're, believe it or not, and he's a much better athlete than I am, the same age. And so I've known of Tony Hawk uh, since I've been about 19 years old and uh, legendary skateboarder. But what I love about Tony Hawk is I think of San Diegans and the impact that Tony Gwynn had on San Diego, one of the other legends named Tony from San Diego. But Tony Hawk uh, has given back to not just our community in San Diego, California, the country, but now the world. And uh, it used to be the Tony Hawk Foundation, Jason. I, I know that your company has given a lot of money uh, and support to that, and so have we. Um, but it's now the skate park project. So I'm gonna start off, Tony, to ask, you know, why would you, after all these years, and I think you're almost 20 years in on the philanthropic impact that you're having, why would you change the name from yours, the Tony Hawk Foundation, to the Skate Park Project? Uh, oh, that's tricky. <laughs> There's a couple <laughs> different reasons. One mainly is that the, the, the idea and the mission is much bigger than just myself. Um, and also there was this sort of misconception that uh, it's it was my name so i'm funding all of it and it was that actually was a challenge for fundraising um and yes i contribute my own uh money and time and, and effort to it and i donate a, a lot of a lot of the stuff i do towards the foundation but in no way is it completely supported by my income um so i i needed to make a, a clear separation of that and i also uh i kind of needed to step away because every time we were going to do something i was expected to be there yeah um because my name was attached to it and and that got to be overwhelming so i feel really good about it, it and actually i feel like we've hit a stride in terms of how effective our work is since the name change um we've kind of reached a different level of philanthropy and and awareness so uh i'm really proud of it i'm still very much involved i'm still on the board of directors uh, I still donate a lot of my appearance money to the foundation and and do outreach work and and selfishly I get to skate these parks that we built so all good <laughs> very I cool it. I love it um, so I I love that you give back to the community and give kids things to do you actually gave me something to do all growing up I've spent more hours on Tony Hawk Pro Skater than I probably have anything else an amazing game and maybe <laughs> maybe you'll get into that a little bit too. But I'm a dad and, uh, you know, I watched your documentary and I saw your dad on there and, and just it seemed like he really wanted to be involved with you. And I love being involved with my kids. Um, maybe just give us a little bit of, of what it means to like get involved with the youth and maybe how your dad was an example of that or, you know, what your thoughts are there on, on getting involved uh, with with our with our kids. Sure. Well, I, I think what the, my dad was very much involved. Um, he was very supportive, but also so involved to the extent where it felt invasive. And that was hard for me. You know, I was already this sort of awkward, um, bullied teenager. Even though I was skating doing well, I was not well respected in the skate industry because of my style and because my dad was always over my shoulder. So 
that was tricky. So I, I had to find that balance when I became a parent of being supportive, but not being smothering with, with my involvement. And, um, and I, I, you know, as I look back, obviously I look back fondly. I'm thankful that he was so supportive. None of my friends that skated had parents that wanted them skating because they said it was a bad influence. So I was lucky in that respect. And, and so I've learned to identify when something speaks to one of my kids and it makes them thrive or it makes them feel uh, the same sense of identity or, or accomplishment that I found in skateboarding, I want them to chase it as far as they can. And so I have, I have several children. They're all into different things, but, but they all actually do skate, <laughs> surprisingly. <laughs> right on. Tony, did anybody ever tell you you look like Tony Hawk? Do you still get that? <laughs> I do, uh, but you're the first today. <laughs> first today. Well, good. Um, so what's next for you? I mean, you've done so much, and you're, obviously you're, um, your foundation has helped so many people. Like what, when you get up in the morning and you say, okay, what, you know, what does that look like for you? What does the next three to five years look like for you? Uh, well, I'm, I'm still skating actively, even though I broke my femur uh, back in March. So that's been a challenge. Um, in fact, that's probably the, the biggest challenge I face in the short term is trying to get to a level of skating that I'm happy with. Um, other than that, obviously doing stuff at the foundation. Uh, I have a podcast with my friend Jason Ellis called Hawk versus Wolf, where we tell our ridiculous stories of growing up as skaters and, and the kind of um antics that we got into uh and we have we have guests on there um but for the most part um i'm just kind of taking it as it comes I, I we still have one one child at home my daughter's 14 so i want to be home as much as possible and be present for her um and i do a lot of speaking gigs um which has been the strangest not strangest the most surprising part of my career in the last 10 years is that I never imagined that anyone would pay me to ride a skateboard firstly or pay me to talk about skateboarding. Amazing. Tony, so when you were talking, you said something a bit personal. So if you don't mind, I'm going to ask a, a little personal of a question. But you said, when I was growing up, I was good but not respected. And I would love to know, like, what did that look like? And then for other people who feel like they're doing something and they're at the top of their game, but they're just not respected, like, what advice would you give them? Uh, um, well, a, a good is a relative term in term in skateboarding because it's so subjective. So I felt like I was improving greatly each after each event or, you know, we should with each passing year, I, my skills were getting better. I was getting more refined, getting stronger, but, but my style of skating was mostly, uh, was mostly chastised because it was all about tricks and skating at that time was more about style and your look and your flow. And here I was this awkward skinny kid spinning my board around. And they, they used to call me a circus freak. Like literally they would say I'm a circus skater. Cause I'm, I'm spinning my board like a baton. And how I overcame that was I dug even deeper into that. I, I leaned into it and just decided I'm going to prove them wrong because I feel like this is progressive. This is something that is new and different. And I, I got those skills so dialed that I ended up doing that kind of stuff uh, way up in the air and consistently and back to back. And then I started winning a lot of events through that style of skating. What would my, my advice to, to other people doing it is 
just dig deep and uh, do it because you love it. Don't do it for accolades. Don't do it for um, for validation. You got to do it because you truly love it. And at some point, if you're thriving in it and if you are being progressive at it, you'll probably get recognized for that. Um, it's not always guaranteed, but at the very least, you're going to enjoy what you're doing. I feel like you're always trying to prove people wrong. Like I, I watched your 900. <laughs> like, I, I mean, how many times did you try that thing? And you probably already had sort of like your status. Uh, you were up there. You were top of your game. And you're going and you're trying this thing over and over and over again. And I think you probably could have quit and everyone would have been like, yeah, he's still the best. But then you nailed it. And I use that in trainings a lot. And maybe just talk about that. Like what drove you there? And I'm sure it's what drives you in your life. Um, well, the, the quest for the 900 was uh, about 10 years in the making, uh, which a lot of people have a hard time believing that, that I would be so stubborn to be trying a trick for that long. But uh, it was more that I... The, the 540, which is one and a half spin, was created in 1984 by Mike McGill. And then the following year, 1985, uh, I did the first 720, which is two spins in the air. So the next, the next evolutionary stage of that is a 900, which is two and a half. I honestly didn't try it until uh, maybe three years after that, three or four years. And when I did try it, it was, it was fabulously terrible. Um, I, I didn't get around. I kind of landed on my back. I, it was, it was like, I had no idea how to approach it, how to spin, how to understand my space in the air. So I kind of put it on the shelf and then sometime around 1994 or 95, uh, I felt like I had a better sense of awareness in the air. I can't, I don't know how to explain it. I've been doing 720s for so long that I felt like I, I'm better equipped at trying to figure out the next spin. So I actively started pursuing 900s um, around 1995 and got really close a few times, broke my rib, um, threw out my back. <laughs> and uh, the one time I got the very closest I'd ever been, where I was actually riding back down the ramp, I fell into the, the bottom of it because I was leaning too far forward and uh, cracked my rib. And to me, that was the sign that maybe it's not possible because you gave it everything you had. You thought you had it. I had never been so convinced I was going to make something and then balling and gotten hurt like that. So I let it go for a while, um, a couple of years. And then fast forward to 1999 X Games and they had a best trick event. My best trick at the time was a version of a 720 which was called a varial 720, where I spin the board an extra half turn. That's all I had planned for that night and that event. And I made it early on in the event, about halfway into the time allotted, I made varial 720. I'd only made one in my life before. That was the second one. And so that's all I had planned. That's all I had in my pocket. Um, and then the announcer said, uh, why don't we see one of those 900s? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> Wow. Sure, I'll try it for you. I mean, I was happy to try it. It was more, it was more like I was just showing the crowd. <laughs> I was just showing the crowd, like, what does it look like? And then somewhere around my fifth or sixth attempt, I felt like something was happening where my spin was consistent, my height was consistent, and I started spotting my landing zone in a way that, that was 
unlike any time I ever had before, where before I would try it, I would get maybe one good attempt out of every four or five. And that's the one I had to commit to. This time, every attempt was good because because I had come a long way in my skating and also because the ramp was much more um, reliable. It was much faster than any ramp I had ridden. So suddenly I found myself spotting my landing over and over. And I thought, well, if I'm ever going to ever going to try it again, this is the place. And at some point during my attempts, I figured out that if I if I don't lean so far forward as to crack my rib again, maybe I have a chance of making it. (laughs) And so I actually ended up leaning back when I was landing, but I would lean back too far. And that was the turning point, because once I figured out that I've I've already I already know how I lean too far forward. I know how I lean too far back. I just got to split the difference. And I made it, I think, one or two tries later. Um, and so, like I said, it was, it was a quest that was over 10 years in the making and it was very personal. I, I had no intention of doing it on such a public stage. I mean, when I learned 720s in 1985, I was on a ramp near, uh, uh <laughs> on the outskirts of Stockholm, Sweden with about three people watching me. <laughs> so this was a very different venue, obviously, um, but it was the same approach. I was going to make it or get taken away in an ambulance. Those are the only two and outcomes it, and that it, night. I mean, Dave, you're a sports guy. It literally became one of the most epic moments in sports history. Absolutely. Like, I could say that hands down. Absolutely. And to that point, last question, Tony. Um, you know, I deal with the sports side of esports as well as video games. And there's no more popular game, as Jason knows, oh, yeah. than Tony Hawk. Um, but when my, I have a 12 year old son, I have three older daughters as well. So I have one left at home like you. But when I was trying to teach him football and football to me, I played college football. That's what I'm a student of. And um, Warren Moon, the Hall of Fame quarterback being my business partner, representing Troy Aikman, Steve Young, the greatest quarterbacks of all time. I couldn't teach my child football. And so I asked Warren, hey, can you help me teach Miles, my son, the rules of football? And he looked at me and said, dude, just buy Madden, <laughs> right? Because it teaches way better than you could ever because you now have an imagery <laughs> and an icon. And you know, to that end, what I love about Tony Hawk, what I love about Madden is you can actually build your passion, your spirit. You can learn some things from a video game, but there's still the outlet of 650 skate parks that Tony Hawk Foundation and the Skateboard Project have built today um, and a lot of games are just games. There's not a reality that you can utilize it and build awareness. How much has the video game, number one, help raise awareness to skateboarding and you, but even more importantly, do you think, help build the passion for skateboarding? I, I think that there was a few, there's sort of a perfect storm in the late 90s. The X Games was on its way up in terms of getting more um just getting more validation in terms of, of general viewership and authenticity. And then um, I had, you know, I had this crazy event with the 900 and our video game was released that same year. I mean, those things were not planned in any sense, but um, it definitely raised the, the awareness of skateboarding. And I think what happened was, yes, our video game did very well, obviously. And we got to do all kinds of different um, versions of it and sequels. But I think that that those things combined created a fan base for skateboarding that don't necessarily even skate. And that's the tipping point that that we needed 
to kind of be here to stay. Because in the past, before that, the only people who appreciated skateboarding were skaters themselves. Um, and now we have a sort of a, a couch, uh, you know, someone on the couch that is playing video games that understands the dynamics of a 360 flip that doesn't even skate. Um, so that, that was something that was not expected, but was definitely welcomed. Uh, and then there all, there is to, to your point, there is a whole generation of people who started skating because they played the game. Um, and I'm proud of that too, that, that our game was, was engaging enough to want them to try the real thing. Um, and there is a generation of skaters now that grew up playing that game, started skating perhaps because of it, and are now doing tricks that were only reserved for the game itself because they were too impossibly hard at the time to do. And now they're doing them in real life. Well, it's quite a legacy, and it's so cool that that legacy will carry on with content, but also with real-life skateboard parks. And everyone, support the leader, the legend, Tony Hawk. He's amazing on the ramp and off. Uh, just an amazing person. We're so blessed to have you, Tony. Thank you for joining us on Office Hours.